Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, A Better Story. Growing up, we have been told to make our own way, to write our own story. But few of us realize that God has a better story for us. Our prayer is that you come to the understanding that God has the pen in his hand and he is continuing to write a better story for you. Good morning. How's everybody? Everybody good? Good, good, good. He's got the football hangover going on right now. Like, stayed up too late watching Georgia Clemson, which was oh, very disappointing, right? And uh, so, yeah. Uh, hey, um, but I believe God's got some great things in store for us today. God's done some great things through this series, and I believe he's going to continue to do that. I believe that's his heart, that he desires to bring people who are far from him to him, and uh, that he wants to give us a better story and write a better story in our life. And we're going to continue looking at that series um, that we've been going through, that God does have a better story for us when we put down the pen and allow him to begin to write his story. And that story is the gospel story that he's writing with our lives. And so it's awesome. We got to see God do that with some people last week. We uh, had the awesome privilege of baptizing 27 people last Sunday. That was cool. And, uh, and uh, as cool as that, we also got to see Four people go from death to life as they put their faith in Christ and gave their life to him last week in salvation. So it was uh, a great day and, and really believe today that God desires to do um, something in our hearts. I don't believe any of us are here by accident, but we're here by divine appointment that God wants to speak to us and, and, and impart something to us um, as a part of our better story. And, and in that, to, to use us to write a better story in someone else's life. And when we do this, it brings him glory. And uh, man, we get to spend our whole life um, glorifying him and enjoying him forever. And that's pretty awesome. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, listen, today um, we're going to be back in the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Joseph and, and uh, his brothers. And we're actually going to be reading from Genesis chapter 42 in just a moment. And uh, we're going to jump in. But I want to set it up uh, real quick uh, with just a few things. One is that I want you to understand that Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Every word in Scripture points us to Christ. And so when we look at the life of Joseph, we're able to begin to see um, that, that there's a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. And, and every, every word of Scripture, every line of Scripture, every letter um, points us to Christ. It points us to the cross. It points us to Jesus who um, was to come. And so even in the first book of the Bible, um, hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus um, comes on the scene, we begin to see um, God's grace and mercy demonstrated uh, as Joseph offers grace and mercy to his brothers, um, who really didn't deserve it. But after they sold him into slavery and took his, took his coat and all that kind of stuff, didn't deserve it. But, but Joseph shows us the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Um, the next thing I want to do is just set up where we're at in this story. We're going to be reading from uh, Genesis 42, beginning in verse 18. And at this point, Joseph has been through um, the pit where his brothers threw him when they sold him into slavery. Um, Joseph has uh, been in the prison where he went when he was um, accused of trying to seduce Potiphar's wife, the man who bought him once he got to Egypt. Um, he's, he's already interpreted the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer, and he's been given the second most high, uh, highest position in the kingdom of Egypt. And, and he, he's uh, basically ruling. The only person with more power is Pharaoh himself. And so he's in this position where he has been given uh, great power. He's interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh at this point. And so he knew that there were going to be seven years of, of prosperity and seven years of famine that were coming. So during those seven years of prosperity, Joseph had instructed uh, um, the Egyptians to bring their grain. So they stored up just, just tons and tons of grain for this seven years of famine. And now they're in the seven years of famine. And this famine didn't just affect Egypt. It affected everybody around them, including the land of Canaan, where Joseph came from, where his brothers and his father, his family still live. And so they were affected by it. They heard there was grain in Egypt. And so they come to Egypt to buy grain. Now this brings them in uh, a face-to-face encounter with their brother. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And, um, he sort of plays, uh, uh, acts like he doesn't know them, like he, he can't speak their language. And we'll see this, but I want you to understand this is where we're at in the story. They've come to buy grain from their brother. So let's read these verses, um, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 42. Then we're going to jump in and we're going to get going. 
uh, with the message. So verse 18, chapter 42 in the book of Genesis. It says, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison. And so this is Joseph speaking to his brothers. He's saying, one of you stay here. The rest of you can go back. And when you return um, with your younger brother, I'll let him go too. So while the rest of you go and take grain back to, for your starving households, but you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen, and that's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then they, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. So he gives them grain. He gives them back their money to put each man's silver back in his sack. So he gives them back their money. And then he says, and to give them provisions for their journey. So he gives them a little extra for the road. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. Let's jump over um, into verse 35 real quick, because once they get home, they have another startling discovery. And verse 35 says this, as they were emptying their sacks, so all the brothers are emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. And so things went from bad to badder, right? And, and they realized it wasn't just one sack that still held the money, but it was the others. And they realized we're in trouble. So let's pray and let's ask God to speak to our hearts and just believe that he's going to do something this morning through his word. Lord, we thank you um, for this, this word, God, this living and active word that you've given us that tells us our story, that um, God gives us a better story, that allows us to be a part of writing your story, Lord. We love you and we thank you for that. I pray you'll do something great in our hearts today, that we could do something great for your kingdom Touch us, Lord. Um, help us to see our true identity as we walk through this scripture and we walk through this series, Lord. We love you, God. We praise you and we'll give you glory um, because, God, you deserve it. God, thank you for Jesus and the power is in his name. His name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So, quick question. How many of you have ever, um, let's say, believed a story that wasn't true? Anybody? I believe the story that wasn't true. And, and I would ask you this, what do we call that? A lie, right? It's, it's, we, could say, we could dress it up and say it's a story that just wasn't true. But really it's a lie, isn't it? And I would say that most of us, probably all of us have believed a lie, believed a story that wasn't true at some point in time. I'm no different. Sometimes I think I'm a little bit too naive. I believe um, people too much sometimes, I think. And, and so I believed a lot of lies over my lifetime. And one of the stories that wasn't true that I was told was I was about seven, six, seven years old. Um, one day when my dad uh, was keeping me, he kept me when he worked third shift um, with Georgia Power. And so during the day I would stay with him. And so one day he calls me into his bedroom and he says, son, come here. I need to tell you something. And, and he's got a serious look on his face. And so I'm like, uh oh, what is this? this? must be a big deal. He goes, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody else. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. This is big. This is a big deal. And so he opens the doors on his dresser. He pulls out a drawer and he reaches into his dresser and he pulls out a silver 38 bullet. And he says, son, I used to be the Lone Ranger. And I was like, whoa! It's like, man, that is too cool. That is an awesome story. And, and I, I felt like that was the greatest day of my life. I was like, my dad was a Lone Ranger. And see, back then, back in those days, um, during the daytime, they played the Lone Ranger all the time. It was always on. And this was before Tonto was, like, bigger than the Lone Ranger, right? And, and so um, it was a big deal, man. And so I was so excited. And, and then I found out, like, last week that he wasn't. And, and it, was pretty, it was pretty crushing. But... Um, I survived it, and and uh, and I found out it wasn't true. But but that's like, that 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 example was obviously not something that like had dramatic implications. And he told me not to tell him, but I told everybody, right? And so um, we, everybody was like, "Your dad's not alone. This kid's crazy." And so, um, but but uh, there are stories in our lives that we do believe. There's lies in our lives that we do believe that do affect us. And here's the reality of that. 
for many of us, the experiences in our lives are those, story, are those stories that have told us lies. In many ways, the experiences in our lives have told us things about ourselves that aren't true. And the last two weeks, we've been looking at some of these things, things like um, the major events in our lives. Some of us have experienced major events in our lives that have impacted us deeply. It may have been the loss of a loved one. It may have been um, this one moment in time that, that you were abused or, or you were raped. There could have been these, these drastic moments in our life that affected the way we saw ourselves and have affected us even to this day. We may find ourselves like these brothers that this event that took place 20 years before, they're still remembering it as we just read when they're thinking we deserve to be punished for what we've done. For some of us, it's what culture has told us, right? We, we grow up and culture tries to press us into its mold. Here's the thing I've realized as a parent is if I don't establish a firm identity in my children, an identity that is based on Christ, the world is going to establish one for them. And, and that's happened to many of us is that our identity comes from what the world tells us. It tells us we need to be this tall or this skinny or this, you know, whatever. We need to have this house or this car or whatever it is. And so our identity begins to be formed whenever we don't have what culture tends to tell us that we need to have, we find less value in ourselves. And so it begins to shape our identity. It begins to shape how we see ourselves. And culture is very good about that, about forcing an identity on us, about who we should be, what we should look like, how we should act, what a man is, what a woman is, what a, what a lady should be. And here's the reality of that, and I told you this last week, is that you'll never find your true identity when you're listening to someone who wants something from you. You're only going to be told what they need you to believe to get what they want from you. And the reality of it is that many of us have allowed culture to shape our story, and, and that story has shaped how we see ourselves. Another one is, is our parents or those people in our lives that were major influences. They've shaped how we see ourselves, how they um, raised us or how they poured into our lives, um, whether they were there or not, shapes how we see ourselves within God's kingdom and shapes how we see ourselves in the world. It makes us, it writes our story for us. And we begin to believe that story, whether it's true or not, it begins to give us our character, our value, and our perceived worth. And we begin to take that upon ourselves. It becomes our identity, and we begin to live from that identity. And I was thinking about this week, how many people, if they had believed the story that had been written in their lives, how many people in Scripture would have never made a difference? I thought about Joseph. Joseph probably would have just perished in the prison, right? He probably never would have interpreted the dreams. But Joseph knew there's a better story for my life. He had an identity that was in God and that his father had instilled in him. And he knew there's got to be something more to my life. Moses never would have gone before Pharaoh. The people of Israel would have stayed in slavery. But Moses finally realized that if God is with me, I can do this. And he sent Aaron with him and he went and delivered the people, um, the Israelites out of Egypt. Gideon, many of us know the story of Gideon. We know that he took like 300 men and he went and defeated the Midianites, right? Thousands of men beaten by just a few hundred men. And we think that's awesome. But a lot of times we don't talk about where God found Gideon. You remember Gideon was down in a wine press and it says he was threshing wheat. In other words, Gideon was down in a hole hiding from the enemy. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, behold, great and mighty warrior, right? And Gideon, you know, Gideon had to do this. Like somebody else in this hole? Because he didn't feel like a brave and mighty warrior, but God saw something in Gideon that Gideon couldn't see in himself. Aren't you glad that God sees something in you that many times you can't see in yourself, that God speaks a better truth over your life than you can speak over it yourself, right? Amen. Praise Jesus. Think about it. David, he would have been a shepherd boy forever, never shepherding God's people, but God had a better story. Isaiah would have always seen himself as unclean. But God touched his lips and said, you are clean. He gave him a new identity. Matthew would have died in his guilt for as being a tax collector. A tax collector was hated more than anybody else in Israel. They were taken from their own people. They were hated. And yet Matthew found a better story for his life and his identity in Christ. And he wrote the first gospel. What if Matthew never realized God through Jesus is writing a better story for me. Paul would have drowned in a sea of guilt as a murderer. And yet he became the best and greatest evangelist that the world's ever seen. Here's the reality about those men's lives. Those men found out that God 
had a better story for them. The Bible is full of men and women who recognize God is not done writing my story and he wrote a better story in them. Here's where we have to have to sometimes check the lie at the door so we not to let it in is that we read about these people and we say that's great for them but certainly God doesn't plan to do that through me. And that's a lie. God desires to write a better story in your life and to use you to point people to Christ. Just as he used Joseph, just as he used Moses, just as he used Gideon, none of us have become disqualified if we're in Christ. In fact, it is in Christ that we find our competency to be ministers of the gospel. God desires to write a better story in us but we he can't write a better story in us until we begin to see the truth of who we are in christ the world system tries to tell us that we're the sum total of what we've done or who we've done it with or what we're going to become or what we have god tells us we are who we are by simply answering one question are you in christ he doesn't look at what you wear he doesn't look at where you live he doesn't look at anything else He says, are you in faith in me? Are you? And when we are, we have a new identity. Our identity is simply that of Christ. Our lives become hidden in him. The the labels that the world tries to put on us can't stick. Media, culture, our friends and family, all these different things try to put these labels on us. And and yet, if we don't know who we are, sometimes they seem to stick to us and we begin to believe a lie about what the world has told us we are or what our past experiences have told us we are. And the reality of it is, if you're in Christ, no label sticks except that of in Christ, in his righteousness, in his grace, in his mercy, redeemed, whole, Those are the only types of labels that we can hear. I started thinking about what kind of labels does, uh, did Joseph's brothers wear? We talked about the last couple of weeks how, man, they, they knew that their father didn't love them as much as he loved Joseph, right? He even gave Joseph a coat that told him, or a robe that said, you're not, I don't, I love him way more than I love y'all, right? They knew these things. They had, they had sold their brother into slavery, almost killed him. Can you imagine what labels they wore from their experience? Maybe some of them were like unworthy, just bad, that they were betrayers, that they were useless, worthless, no good. Can you imagine what they've looked at and thought about themselves? And we read that if you look at Genesis 42, 21 and 22, you see it. They said, surely we're being punished because of our brother. Reuben even goes on and says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. This happened 20 years before they met uh, Joseph face to face. And the reality of it is, is that of all the labels that they wore, the label that spoke the loudest in their life was that of guilty. Guilty. They knew that as they stood before Joseph, the second most powerful man in Egypt, who could snap his fingers and have them killed, they knew we deserve judgment. We deserve death. And yet Joseph extends grace. Joseph had already forgiven what they were still killing themselves over. How many of us live in that place? We're still dominated by some event, some experience, what cultures told us, how we see ourselves, what we think about ourselves. And yet Jesus is saying, I've got a better story for you. You find it in my truth. Won't you just receive the truth that I'm trying to tell you? Aren't we just like the brothers where we think, man, what happened 20 years ago is still who I am. Even though Jesus tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we love to quote those scriptures and we love to say those scriptures. But the reality of it is for many of us, we can't let those scriptures sink into our heart. We've concluded that because of our guilty consciences and our troubled hearts, that we can't possibly truly be loved by God. We can't possibly truly simply receive the love that God has for us. 
And, and, and we come to this place where we can't really give love because we can't receive it. We can't give something we don't have. And so we block it out. Even if we're in Christ and there is no barrier that exists and it only exists in our mind. I was thinking about that. I was like, how can I illustrate this? And I came up with this little handy dandy illustration. And I'm just going to forewarn you today is the day of illustrations. Because today is a day that we are talking about practical truth. Going home and applying some truth to your life so that you can find John 8.32 to be true. That when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Amen. Amen. We said enough, y'all want to wake up, right? Yeah. And so we come to this place where our guilty hearts, our troubled hearts, our condemning hearts, all of these lies that we believe form this barrier that we can't simply receive God's love. And I've got this cup and there's nothing wrong with this cup. This cup is intact. There are no cracks. There is nothing wrong with the cup. Very much like what we look like in Christ, that we've been made whole. We've been redeemed. We've been made right. What was broken has been healed. And we're now in a process of growing into that identity. And yet this cup is now covered with this plastic wrap. And I can take this water that very much resembles Kool-Aid. That looks delicious, doesn't it? But I think it's just water with food, or water with food coloring. So I'm not going to drink it. But I've got this cup with plastic wrap on it. And I can sit here and I can pour all of this water on the top of this cup. And yet the cup can't receive what I'm doing. That'll make you have to go to the bathroom. I'm just saying. Um, and so I poured all of that. It's like God trying to pour out his love into our lives. And yet so many of us have erected this barrier that keeps us from receiving his love. We, these events or this culture or, or, or the, the, the way we grew up thinking about ourselves has kept us from simply being able to receive the love of God. And so God tries to pour out his love. He's showing us his love through Jesus. He's telling us his love through his word. And yet here's something with us that's keeping us from receiving his love. And so how do we end up? We end up empty. We end up not full of God's love. We end up not being able to give love because we can't receive love. Listen to this verse. In verse 23, it says, they did not realize that Joseph could understand them. This is they're speaking since he was using an interpreter. I believe many of us live our lives that way. We believe and we perceive that there's some communication gap between us and God. There's something going on that keeps us from being able to receive his love. Even though we're in faith in Christ, we think that there's still something, there's gotta be some way because certainly I'm not good enough just to receive his love. And we think there's no way God can understand us. And yet Joseph understood every word. We think somehow that because we live this life that we speak some language that, 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 that Jesus and that God doesn't understand. And the reality is God knows where we are. We have a high priest who's able to understand exactly where we are according to Hebrews 4.15. And he knows what we're going through. He knows the struggles that we've endured. He knows the heartache that we've had. And he's saying, if you will put down the pen and quit trying to write a better life and a better story for yourself and let me have the pen, then I'll write a better story and a better life for you. That's the reality. Put down the pen and trust God to write a better story. Put down the pen and quit trying to define yourself and let God's truth define you so that you can walk in freedom, not worrying so much about everything that everybody else says or what happened or what it was. And just come into a place of receiving God's love. Allow His truth, the truth of who He is, to speak into your life. In Old Testament worship, man, they would go to the temple to worship and the temple was divided up into different sections and the most sacred part of that temple was called the Holy of Holies and it was separated from the rest of the temple by this big curtain or this veil and and that veil represented to everybody this this place that God existed that no one else could go and it was a reminder of their sin and how their sin had separated them from God. Only one man went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement to go in and make sacrifices for the people to try to make up for their sin, to try to appease God's wrath and nobody could go 
in there. And that veil was simply a reminder that we've been separated from God by our sin. But it's interesting that one of the greatest sinners that we read about in the Bible, Matthew, who was stealing from his own people, who was hated by all, makes it a point in his gospel that he wrote that in Matthew 27, 51, he tells us very clearly that, that the moment that Jesus died and breathed his last, the Bible says the temple, the, the curtain in the temple, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What does that tell us about us and God? That there's no longer any separation for those who are in Christ. I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the scripture that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 in verse 38. This is after he's already declared that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 8 verse 38 he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Do you realize what that's saying? That nothing can separate you from the love of God if you're in Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Not your past decisions, not your future decisions. And here's the religious objection that always borders on religious fear and legalism. If we tell them they're forgiven, they'll just go out and live like hell. And Paul addressed that too in Romans chapter six, because the reality of it is when you begin to see Jesus clearly, you begin to see his truth clearly, you'll begin to see yourself clearly, you'll realize that that person is dead, that old person is dead, that's no longer who I am and you'll begin to live a different life we're not called to be like the holy police right just go around don't you do that and we think of God that way and God's saying if you'll just let me get into you I'll work my way out of you right don't you think he's big enough to do that Bible doesn't say uh, work in your salvation with fear and it work out your salvation. It works from the inside out. And we begin to see ourselves as God sees us and we begin to live as God lives. The great news about the temple and the veil that was torn in the temple is that when Jesus died and that veil was torn, like God didn't put a zipper in it, All right? So that on your good days, he's like, okay, <laughs> come on, right? And unzips it, he's like, come on in, yeah, yeah come on, right? And then on days where you're like, oh gosh, how did I mess up? Oh my goodness. And he's like, zips it back up. It's not how it works. It was torn forever. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, meaning it is done. The work is complete. Just receive what I'm trying to give you. This is one of the hardest things for me. I told you guys uh, in the first week about going out to Colorado and and going to this place called the Blessing Ranch and five months ago, being on the, the verge of burning out, man, just being on the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And one of the greatest revelations I had was that I can't I have a hard time receiving love. Like you could come up to me and tell me like, man, I love you. And I'd be like, what do you want? You know what I mean? Some of y'all do that too, right? And so it's like, what do you want? And so I have a hard time receiving love. And I found out I have a hard time receiving love from God. In fact, while we're out there, uh, Dr. Walker looked at me and he goes, you do realize you preach two gospels, don't you? I don't preach two gospels. There's only one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was like, no, you do. And then it hit me. I was like, (gasps) I preached two gospels. And he was like, you don't know what I'm talking about though, do you? I was like, yeah, I do know. He goes, no, you don't. I was like, yeah, I do. I preach one to everybody else and I preach another one to myself. Anybody else do that? Like, oh man, God loves you. Man, you're, 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 mate, you're righteous in Christ. You're, man, God loves you. And then you do something. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. Right? <laughs> and it's hard sometimes to receive the grace that God offers. It's hard sometimes to get to that place where you can finally accept it. But I'm telling you, it's true. It's love. It's true. He loved, so he gave. He gave his son to show us his love. That's the truth. The truth is you can't earn it. The truth is you can only receive it. That's the truth of God. Here's the thing I wouldn't want to do today is just to make it sound like your experiences are invalid or somehow to sound like today. I'm just saying, get over it. Because our experiences are true. 
They really did happen. The things that have shaped us and made us think of ourselves as we do, whether it's the decisions we made or the decisions that we're making or how we were talked to or events in our lives, whatever it is, those are real. Those are true. Those things do tell us the truth. The only problem with it is it's a little T. It's not a big T. It's a little thing. It is an experiential truth. And the good news of God is that no matter what the testimony of our experience is and what the testimony of our experience tells us, there is a greater truth, the big T, that tells us a better story. The little T does not dominate our lives. The big T is the only real truth. We talked last week about how Jesus has the final word in our lives. We have to come to this place where we let God's truth have the final word. But here's what we typically do. Typically, this is what we do as Christians. When the brothers finally decide to go back to Egypt, they finally realize like we're going to die here of starvation or we can go back and risk it and just hope that he has mercy on us. This is what they do. because This is what we typically do as Christians when we are trying to earn the grace of God. It says in verse 11, chapter 43 then their father israel it's also jacob said to them if it must be then do this put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift a little balm and a little honey some spices and myrrh some pistachio nuts and almonds take double the amount of silver with you for you must return the silver that was put back into your the mouths of your sacks perhaps it was a mistake take your brother also and go back to the man at once and may god almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and benjamin come back to you with you as for me if i am bereaved i am bereaved and listen to verse 15 so the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and benjamin also this is typically what we do when we find ourselves trying to earn god's grace and our hearts condemn us and they're troubled and we try to earn our way into god's favor is we just double up don't we we say well let's just take a little extra let's work a little harder maybe i can make myself a little more presentable maybe if i get it all together then i can come to god and yet god looks at us and says i didn't come for the people that had it all together i came for the sick came for the broken came to make wounded hearts whole i came to a people who needed a doctor why are you trying to do what you can't do rather than just receiving what he's giving why won't we just accept the treasure that he's putting into our hearts the treasure that he's put into our sacks and filled up with 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 his love and his grace instead of trying to somehow appease him when he's already been appeased through christ We should live out of the grace that he's given. Practically, how do we do do that, right? How do we we let the big T dominate our lives? How do we not believe our experiential truth? How does condemnation from our past not rob us of our future? I was thinking about that and I was like, how do we get it where people can see that the truth of God trumps the truth of God? Our experience. How do we get the people to see how to take the big T and allow it to trump the little T of what our experience tells us? And I started thinking about it. One of my wife's favorite games is a card game called Spades. Anybody like to play Spades? Spades, yeah. Probably most of us have played it at some point, right? And so um, in this card game Spades, in a regular hand, if you're not playing with wild cards or jokers or some, some crazy, you know, other ass, like derivative of Spades, what's the highest card that you can have? Ace of spades, right? You want the ace of spades. Unless you're trying to go, no, like, that's the whole another side of the thing. And, 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 but you want the ace of spades because the ace of spades beats every other card. It trumps every card in every situation, no matter what card it is. It can be the king of spades. It trumps it. It can be a two of hearts. It doesn't matter. It trumps every other card. And I began to think about that. And I began to think about what are the cards that we've been dealt? What are the things in life that we've been dealt? And this card right here, it says lost a loved one and it makes you feel empty. This one right here says sexually promiscuous, makes you feel guilty. This one says abandoned by a parent, makes you feel alone. But this one, the ace of spades, it says, I am treasured, Deuteronomy 14.2. The Bible says that God would never leave you nor forsake you. 
and it trumps our experiential truth. This big T trumps all those other cards. Nothing, no situation can ever overcome the truth of God's word in our lives. This one says rape, it makes us feel unclean. This one says divorce, it makes us feel rejection. This one says pressure to be beautiful, it makes us feel not good enough. But this one says 2 Corinthians 5.17 that I am a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. And guess what? It trumps those other cards. This card says abused by a parent. This card says pressure to have it all together. This card says burned out and it makes us feel like I'm finished. I'm done. We feel broken. And yet this one says I am whole. Colossians 1.17. And the great promise of that verse is that Jesus is the one who holds it all together. So if you're in Christ, you're not going to fall apart. You're not broken. You're going to be put back together. And listen, we talk about all these big Christian words like sanctification. You know, sanctification is nothing more than us growing into the identity that Jesus has already given us. We don't work our way into our identity. We grow up in Christ. As God's in us, he begins to work out of us. As we abide in him, he begins to grow inside of us, creating his identity in, here, in us. I was, I was out in Colorado, and one of the things that we had to do is we had to go through, and, and, and I had to write out, like, how did I get here? How, what, what, did, what got me here? And I ran and wrote down my whole story, and I read that the first week um, of this series to you, just how low I'd gotten. And we went through this thing, and it was pretty awesome because it showed me how to begin to take my thoughts captive. It showed me how to begin to live in the truth of God. And so what I did was I went, and I, and I got some people to send me their story, their, their how did I get here. I don't know whose this is because I don't want to know because I don't want to say their name accidentally. And um. So I wanted to read this. And one of the things we had to do whenever I read my story out there and how I got to that place that I was, whenever I would say something that was true, this is what we had to do. We had to say, hallelujah, right? Y'all can do that, can't you? And then if I read something that was untrue, a statement about my experience that was untrue and was telling me a lie about who I was, then we would, and I'm going to clean it up, we would say bull. Now, if you're sanctified, right? Been around church. It stands for baloney. Okay. If not, stands for whatever it needs to stand for to get the point across. Right. And so here's the deal. When I read a line, this is what you do. If it's true, according to God's word, then we're going to say hallelujah. If it's not, then we're going to say bull. Okay. Stop there. Right. (laughs) So here we go. You ready? A sore spot for me has always been that I never measured up in the competition that is life. Bull, you got it, yeah. I used to think that I could only reach the ceiling of average at everything I did. Bull, baseball, a good defender but a bad hitter, mediocre overall. Relationships, dedicated to one girl for a while until things burned out. Average at relationships. School, honor graduate from high school with no effort but lost hope scholarship after my first year. Average intellect. After years of that thought living in the back of my mind, I eventually believed it. I had no hope. And he said, I'm not talking about the school scholarship. But God had a better story. Hallelujah. Jesus saved me in January of 2011 and with that gave me a new identity. Even a year into my faith, I still couldn't shake the thought that I was average. Yeah, yeah. My, my life was all about me, how I couldn't measure up, what my thoughts were of me. I was lost in my own forest of pride-filled lies. I couldn't see God's big T truth of who I was from all the painting I had done, been doing to form my image. So what? I led a Bible study. It's not good enough. Someone could do better. So what? God has called me to the work of vocational ministry. I will be an average preacher at an average church. Someone would do it better. Everywhere I looked, I found fault, get this, with what God himself was making me into. My prayers weren't good enough. I could never read enough. I could never achieve enough. About three months ago, God finally said, enough about you. You are who I say you are. I love you. You are my son. You are righteous. You are redeemed. You have access to my throne and I hear your prayers. Now, what are you going to believe? The truth that my word says you are or this garbage that you believe? I have chosen to take God at his word to believe Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for me. I'm in Christ. Yeah. 
James 5.16 says, My prayers have power because God deems me a righteous man. I am not who I say I am. I am who the I am says I am. Even though he went straight up Dr. Seuss at the end of that thing, it's still true, right? That we are who God says we are. That our experience, our culture, nothing defines us other than God. Nothing can validate who we are. The reality of it is the only validation that is valid is God's validation. Nothing else matters. The truth is only true when it's the big T truth of God. These brothers tried to earn what God wanted to freely give them. How much better off would they have been to just live out of the treasure that Joseph was graciously and mercifully giving them? How much better would we be if we simply lived out of the grace and mercy that God has given us out of the truth of who he is and the truth that he tells us about ourselves? When I went out to Colorado and I wrote that, how did I get here story? How did I end up where I was? Almost burnt out, tired, an identity crisis. And I wrote it. And man, it took a while and a lot of it was painful and I went through it and I began to look at it I began to see all the lies that I began to believe because of my experience and because of what other people had told me and because of my own insecurities that had been shaped by my life. And then towards the end of the week, we wrote another story and we went through and we went through different scriptures and began to see who God tells us we are. Begin to see who God tells me I am. And this is what had to happen. I had to take this experience and this story that, that I'd been living by and that I'd been letting direct my life and I had to take God's truth and what he says about me and I had to lay it over the top of my experience and anything that didn't line up with God's word had to go. And that's how we live in the freedom of Christ, is that his truth trumps our truth. In fact, this is what this letter says. It says, trust in the truth and not what your experience says. Big T truth. I've called you to preach my gospel and lead my church. You are competent and able because I've created, equipped, and purposed you for this task. I want you to see yourself as I see you. I delight in you and there's no condemnation for you. You are my child and I love you. No matter what anyone else says, you are okay because I've said you are okay. I used to long for somebody just to say, hey man, you're okay. You're all right. And I finally realized I was all right before they said I was all right. Amen? They didn't, they didn't validate my okayness. Jesus did. Live out of grace and love by both giving it and receiving it. Be strong and courageous, standing firm on these truths. Preach boldly and lead courageously because I'm in this with you and you will finish this race well. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. Rely on and live in my love. I used to struggle because I didn't know, can I even finish this race? And then I began to realize, you know what? Philippians 1, 6 promises that I can be confident that he began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. That's the truth. I can't tell you how many times throughout this series even I've heard in my head you can't do this this is gonna bomb you're gonna make them worse and in my mind I was like oh and then I went back to the truth and I realized God's gonna finish this this isn't up to my understanding this is based off of his truth and who he is and I'm gonna stand on that truth and preach it boldly and courageously believing that some of us as we find ourselves in the truth are gonna be set free to live and not just exist but our tr- the truth of God's word tells us who we are i got one more example um and and, and, does anybody even know what this thing is like y'all don't even know do you y'all like what is that is that et right you got no idea this this my friend is called an overhead projector right there you go back in my day we use these a lot and the teacher would ride on the overheads or they would print on the overhead and then they'd lay it up there and behold, through a lot of trickery with mirror and light, you could see what was on the screen, right? And so it was projected up there. And this is the thing I began to realize that as our experience 
um, begins to transform us into who we are and it begins to tell us who we are and the events of our lives begin to tell us a truth maybe that's not true about ourselves and maybe not even true about God but we begin to believe it as the truth this is what happened we form this identity and this is you and this is you apart from the truth of God's word and so we're here and we believe these lies and that's us that's just who we are right just who you believe you to be. But the great thing about God is we're able to take and lay his truth over the top of that truth and it begins to speak a better word in our life, amen? When we find ourselves and we find you in the midst of truth, we begin to see ourselves more clearly. It begins to light up our hearts. We begin to see who we are. We begin to realize my experience can't define me because I'm defined by something greater. I'm defined by a bigger and greater truth and it's the truth of Jesus he's written a better story in my life and even demonstrates it through an old dusty overhead projector hallelujah right and he he shows me who I am no longer have to strive I no longer have to fight for my identity I no longer fight against God God is fighting for me he's fighting with me to shape me and create me and a new identity to give me life, give me hope, to give me a future in him. And he uses me, 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 me. I know me to write a better story in somebody else's life. It brings him glory. Man, that is bizarre. But it's the truth of God. One of the things that, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, but that blew me away was when these brothers bring all that they had to Joseph and they come to their servant and they're scared they're thinking we're about to get killed or imprisoned or something and, and in verse 23 of chapter 43 it says this is what the servant of Joseph says the steward of his house says this it's all right he said don't be afraid your God the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks I received your silver then he brought Simeon out to them Here's the awesome thing about that scripture and about that text. He says, and he makes it a point. It shows us another foreshadowing of Joseph. He says, here's the reality. God has given you treasure in those sacks. This wasn't even Joseph. This was God working through Joseph. And what we see with God is that through Jesus, he's given us great treasure within us. As if we're the sack and he fills us with great treasure. And when we begin to see ourselves as how G, the way that Jesus sees us, we can begin to live the way Jesus calls us to live. But to think that we can manifest the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, think that we could possibly manifest that and, and, and have that outpour um, out of our lives apart from receiving it from God? It's just not true. We can only give what we receive. And God desires to pour great treasure into your life. We have to be willing to receive it. We have to see ourselves as Christ sees us, as righteous, made whole, as, being, as having the Holy Spirit in us. And then allowing Him to dictate who we are and our identity. And we begin to live out of that. Today when you walked in, you should have got an announcement card. And attached to that, you probably got a brown bag that's attached to it, right? It was like a sandwich bag. Sorry, there's no sandwich in there. Um, but in there is something better. And this is what I want to ask you. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ, you have faith in Jesus. This is what I want you to do. I want you to open that sack. You go ahead and open it right now. It doesn't feel like there's anything in there, but there's something in there. there there's a great treasure that's in there. And you can open that sack and I want you to pull it out and I want you to begin to read it. And what you're going to find is some great truths about who you are in Christ. Some great truths about what it means to be a Christian and, and the identity that you have. In Christ, you are righteous. In Christ, you are whole. In Christ, you are redeemed. In Christ, you've been set free. That is your identity if you are in Christ. That is the reality of who you are. And that truth will set you free. And this is what I want you to do with that truth. I want you to take it home and I want you to begin to sit down and I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to use those scriptures to get you started writing a letter, a message from him. And it's a letter about who you are and how he sees you. 
Not about how you see you or what your experience has taught you to see, but about who you are in Christ. And it's going to be very important as we go through this series. And you need to take that letter and you need to write it out and you need to begin to get the truth. This whole letter that I read you earlier is based completely on scripture. It's based completely on who God tells me that I am. And I want you to write that thing out and I want you to have it. And you can bring it back next week because we're going to use it. It's going to be a tool in your toolbox. And this truth is going to set us free. The one thing I can promise you is if you will do this, you'll be set free indeed. Set free. But that defines you, not your experience. Now here's the, here's the other side of this. I said, if you're in Christ, open it because that's the treasure. Here's the reality. Some people in here, you may not have opened the sack or here's the thing. You open the sack just because the person next to you was opening their sack and you didn't want them to know that you're not a believer. So you open the sack. But here's the great thing about Jesus. Today, he gives an invitation to anyone who will to come with him or to come to him. And he says, if you'll just open your heart and receive the invitation that I'm giving you, And that truth becomes who you are. And you're born again. And that old person is dead. That old person is gone. And this becomes your new identity. This becomes your new life. And this is what I would ask you. If everybody would just listen just for a second. I would ask you. If you don't know him, but today you're like... I need that. I need this truth. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to speak a better testimony over me. I need him to take my sin away from me, that this can be true of me, that I can be righteous before God, that I can actually stand before a holy God, righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what he did, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Today, you couldn't open that sack as a believer. Maybe you've opened it, maybe you haven't, but today I would ask you this, if you're here and you would like to receive that today receive the truth jesus today we can make that happen this is what i would ask you if you're here today and you want to receive christ as your lord and your savior i'm going to ask you right now lights up just raise your hand stick your hand in the air and say i want to receive christ I saw four people do this last week i promise you it doesn't kill you to raise your hand in front of people it brings life And today you would say, I want to receive him. You just put your hand up and leave it in the air. Let us see you. We want to celebrate with you and we want to take your next steps with you. Okay? You're here and you want to do that. There's time, right? Today's the day of salvation. Jesus offers life to you right now. Would you receive him? All right? for the rest of us God gives us his truth my prayer is that we walk out of here and we stand on it and even when the winds and the waves and the rain beat against us we know I can stand courageously on this truth the truth of God I'm going to pray for us right now and pray that God gives us the strength and courage and that we would make a choice to stand on what his word says and not what our experience has taught us let's pray God thank you so much for loving us for giving us life for who you are Lord I pray you'll speak to our hearts I pray God that we would stand on your truth Um, not being swayed by experience but knowing God that your truth has the final say in our lives of who we are and God as we see ourselves as you see us Lord I thank you that we begin to live as you call us to live Lord impart that truth into our hearts Let us leave this old dead person behind and walk into freedom. Lord, as we leave this place, let us carry that freedom and that truth into this world that it would change this community and all that we come in contact with. Lord, we love you and we praise you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.